It's a myth to say that stress is bad. Stress is great. So many inventions have been created because of stress and humans and humankind has progressed because of stress. But when it becomes maladaptive and starts interfering with our quality of life or our happiness, that's when we have to pay attention. Welcome to Teach Me Something New. I'm your host, Britt Morin, and this is a production of iHeartRadio and Brit & Co. All my life, everyone's told me I should focus on being good at one thing. But the truth is, I'm curious about a lot of things. But how do you learn about everything? The answer? Make the world's best experts teach you in less than an hour. So come along with me as we all learn something new. All right. Real talk, you guys. I'm feeling pretty stressed out today. My kids are out of school for spring break, whatever that means during COVID for the next week and a half. So I'm juggling 24-7 mom duties with some pivotal launches for both of my businesses this week, and I am feeling it. <laughs> Luckily, a stress and resilience expert is stopping by the show today to give us some advice on how to bounce back and get our stress under control. Dr. Aditi is a mind-body doctor from Harvard, and she's here to tell us what the heck popcorn brain is and how to bring more joy and optimism into our lives. Welcome, Dr. Aditi. Thank you, Britt. It is such a pleasure and an honor to be here with you today. Well, I'm glad you're here personally, like I said, because I'm going a little bit crazy right now, so I can use all your stress therapy techniques, and we'll get into that. But I want to start with your profession. You call yourself a mind-body doctor. Can you please define whatever that means? Yeah, I get asked that question a lot. So I'm a physician by training, an MD, and I did my training in internal medicine, and then I did a fellowship in integrative medicine funded by the NIH. And so what I do is mind-body medicine, really understanding the science of the mind-body connection. You know, our brains and our bodies are in constant communication. What's good for our body is good for our brain and vice versa. But in conventional medicine, it's not something we ever really talk about. And so in integrative medicine, or specifically my field, which is mind-body medicine, we think and talk a lot about how the brain and the body communicate. And it's communication that we think of like butterflies in our stomach when we're falling in love or right before a meeting, our heart palpitating. We know those feelings. We feel them all the time. That's the mind-body connection in action. But we can also very voluntarily use the mind-body connection to help us live healthier, happier lives. And that's kind of what my focus is, bringing a sense of joy, hope, and optimism to everyday people in small incremental ways to build resilience from the inside out. I'm so glad you said that because, you know, if you've listened to this podcast before, I did an interview with Dr. Lori Gottlieb, who's a therapist. And I mentioned that over the last year and a half, I've actually started doing therapy. And my therapist is what's called a somatic therapist, or maybe it's psychosomatic therapist. But she's always asking me when I'm talking about something that's like totally stressing me out or making me emotional. She's like, where do you feel it in your body? 
right now? When you think about this thing happening, where do you feel it? And sometimes it's in my chest. Oftentimes it's in my chest. Sometimes it's deeper in my stomach. Sometimes I feel it sort of in my throat. And so I'm fascinated by what you're saying about being a mind-body doctor because I thought this was maybe like a woo-woo thing, to be honest, that like (laughs) only like therapist and psychosomatic therapist and these like specialists sort of think about. But you're saying that this is actually part of your work as a trained physician and a trained doctor. And so my question is, what do we know about where things exist within the body and how those can be perceived as something maybe going on in our brain? So what's interesting is like what you're describing and seeing a therapist, right? The psychosomatic therapist. Psychosomatic is a word that we use in medical care fairly often to describe physical sensation. And when you think about the mind-body connection, yes, we have lots of physical sensation. So some people may feel like you, sense of tightening in the chest when they're feeling anxious. Others might have a stomach ache. Others might start getting headaches sleeplessness, appetite increase or decrease. There's so many ways that stress manifests in the body. As a doctor, and most doctors will agree that the first thing to do if there's a problem, like an issue or a symptom that you're experiencing, is that you go to your doctor, you get a full medical workup, make sure that it's nothing internally going on. That's called an organic etiology. That's like a little medical jargon for you. Make sure that there's not anything going on. And then if it's not, then we often say that stress is a diagnosis of exclusion, meaning once all medical conditions are ruled out and if it continues to persist in spite of workup, then we say that, hey, it might be stress. And so in the medical system, we don't have anything to address that, right? Like if your doctor says, yes, it's stress, then what? Then you kind of have to figure it out on your own. But in fact, there is a lot of research, very good research, to show that we can do things to modulate the stress response. And it's all in the doing. When we do better, we feel better. And that's the mind-body connection. So things, simple things, protecting our sleep, making sure we spend time with our loved ones. Exercise is a tremendous booster for the brain, truly impacting brain health and mind-body practices like yoga, meditation, tai chi, and even acupuncture. The thing that's really interesting is maybe 50 years ago, we thought the brain that we were born with was the brain that you had forever. It's like a grab bag. What you get is what you got for your life. But now we've learned this whole new era of exploration that the brain is actually very dynamic. It's like a muscle. And just like a bicep, how you can train your bicep, you can train your brain. It's called neuroplasticity. That's another fancy word. But it simply means that our brains can grow, change, and evolve based on the things that we put in or the things that we see. And it's really interesting. So meditation can change our brains. Psychotherapy can change our brains. Sleep, not getting enough sleep can change our brains, exercise. So all these things that we do every day that we don't really even think about can have a huge impact on our brain and actually change the structure. And when we start changing structures, that's when we start having different outcomes in the body and different emotions, et cetera. So that's kind of like in a nutshell what the mind-body connection is. And when you strengthen the body, you strengthen the mind. You know, what's good for the body is good for the mind. What's good for the mind is good for the body. And really kind of linking those up. So people, when they hear the term mind-body connection, 
They think it's like this very magical or mystical thing. Like, do I have to go to the top of a mountain and meditate to really harness the non-body connection, right? Like, <laughs> exactly. you don't need fancy robes. You don't need incense. You don't need aromatherapy, nothing. We could like activate the mind-body connection every day. So one technique that I like to teach is, so there's a beautiful technique called stop, breathe, and be. It was taught to me when I was training to be a doctor who teaches meditation. And we take a simple, mindless, repetitive task that you do every day. So for me, when I was seeing patients a lot, that task would be when I knock on the door and I turn the doorknob. And I do that before I walk into the patient's oh. room, right? You do that 30 times a day. Yeah, 40 which you do like 30 times a day. Yeah. Oh my God, I was just guessing 30. I was so right. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right, 30. So in that moment, you stop, you take a deep breath, you breathe. And then you be, so just kind of focus on your feet on the floor and create a sense of mindfulness. It's a mindful pause. And then you enter the room. Wait, so in my version of this, it's the knocking on the Zoom room. So it's like I end one call, I stop, I breathe, and then I click the link for the next call because my days are just back-to-back Zoom meetings right now. Is that the analogy for my COVID life? Yes. So for your COVID life, I would also add a little bit of movement. So in between your Zoom calls, <laughs> okay. get up, yeah, fair. stretch, just stretch, you know, touch your toes, stretch up to the sky, move your body a little bit, take a few deep breaths, have some sort of ritual, and then sit down and stop, breathe, and be. Because in our daily life pre-COVID, we were moving around all the time. So stopping was an important part of it. Now, so many of us are working from home. We're just sitting all day. So like really incorporating a little bit of movement every day is key. And the three things to think about when you're trying to activate your mind-body connection, you can do it when you're doing dishes, when you're doing laundry, is to think about your feet on the floor and like what it feels like to have our feet on the floor. We don't think about that, right? Our feet are just on the floor doing walking, et cetera. Bring awareness to your feet on the floor. Bring awareness to your posture. So like how is your body and how is your stance in that moment? And then just bring a little bit of... As you're saying that, I'm literally sitting up straighter. (laughs) I'm not touching my toes though, but yes. I'm terrible at posture. And then you just focus on your breath. So you can think about feet, posture, and breath, or stop, breathe, and be. Same concept. Stop, breathe, and be. I love that. I know that Oprah likes to talk about, if you know me, you know I quote Oprah a lot. And I know that she's constantly prescribing the idea that we should count our steps when we're going up and down stairs and to say one, two, three, which sounds silly, but I think she's getting at what you're talking about, which is like your foot is on the floor. You're like literally doing nothing but counting your steps for like 15 seconds. You can just be tuned out of what's ever happening in the world and counting your steps, breathing, your foot is on the floor. So it sounds like these are lessons that have been around for a while now. We just haven't really interpreted those as a mainstream society yet as we're moving about our busy lives. Yeah. And I feel like anything Oprah says should be gospel because I too, I'm like just agree a mega fan, right? Like who isn't a fan of Oprah? I'm just obsessed with her. And yeah, and she's been a meditator for many years, decades and decades. And I bet that, you know, she would probably say that meditation and that sense of mindfulness that she brings, she probably brings mindfulness. She's such a pro. She probably brings that element of mindfulness, like walking up the steps. 
she probably brings that into every aspect of her life. Every interview she does, every time she meets with someone, she must have that because she's like a superwoman, a superhuman, you know? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And I was going to ask you, so I exercise, I eat relatively well. I feel like I am pretty mindful. I do yoga and I breathe a lot and meditate, but I still have moments where I get very stressed out. Is stress something that can ever be completely abandoned in our lives or do we have to learn to live with it? And like, I guess like, How do we think about getting over stress versus living with stress? Stress is actually a very adaptive emotion. We are not meant to remove stress from our lives because stress helps us get up in the morning and get dressed and get to work and get doing things. When we don't have stress in our lives, we don't feel very motivated. We're not productive. We may be bored. So stress as a solitary feeling or emotion is very helpful. But stress, when it becomes maladaptive, meaning when it starts interfering with our life, like I said, right, you have these incredible businesses, you're in a great partnership, you're a mom, you have friends, you're a daughter, your sister, etc. So it's like when you start having relationships getting impacted by your stress or your work or your sleep or health issues, etc., or you just feel super anxious all the time and it's an emotional kind of temperature that you have to check. That's when it becomes a problem. So stress in and of itself is healthy and positive. But when stress becomes negative or starts interfering with the quality of your life, that's when it's kind of a wake-up call for us to pay attention. So there are many things that we can do to prevent that happening. And the other thing is when we start doing all of these things like you are doing in your daily life, right? Focusing on sleep and exercise and meditation and yoga, et cetera, you also kind of strengthen your threshold to manage the stress because you have built in and baked in in your daily life things that help modulate the stress response. You probably are someone who functions with a high level of stress every day and can manage fairly well. And there are moments you're human, right? So there's moments when it's too much, but you also have a good read on when it's too much and can do things to you know, focus and focus on self-care. But stress, it's like a myth to say that stress is bad. Stress is great. So many inventions have been created because of stress and humans and humankind has progressed because of stress. 
But when it becomes maladaptive and starts interfering with our quality of life or our happiness, that's when we have to pay attention. I would say over the last year and a half, and maybe this coincides with COVID or my therapy or a combination of the two, like I am so much better at expressing emotions. Even with my team, I'll be like, I'm feeling really stressed out this week, which before, like I wouldn't feel comfortable saying as the CEO, you know, I have to hold it all together. And so I think it's just human to be able to tell the people you're working with or with my partner, you know, I'm feeling really exhausted and angry tonight. I need to go lay down, you know, like I'm actually finally taking care of myself and I have the vulnerability to express that, which is actually fairly new for me. Like that wasn't something that was ingrained in me since I was a child to be able to express my emotions in those ways. So I was going to ask you, Dr. Aditi, like, what can we do to build up our resilience to stress other than stop, breathe, and be? Is there anything else that we can start to practice in our daily lives that will help us become a little bit more tolerant of the stress that's around us? Absolutely. If there is any silver lining that has come out of this pandemic, it is that it has made us so human and it has made us see each other's humanness in such a deep way right? Like with the working from home and the Zoom. If you remember a few years ago, do you remember BBC Dad? Oh, yeah. And how he was doing an interview and his kids walked in and it was such an outrage and so hilarious at the time. But now that's our everyday life. You know, kids are walking into big board meetings and it's all good. But yeah, so there's so many wonderful things that we could do for our resilience. So we've already covered something like sleep, right? Really protecting our sleep. Right now, so many of us are having fragmented sleep because of the pandemic. So aiming for a little bit of a longer sleep duration, if possible, giving ourselves lots and lots of grace. So knowing that our nights will become better when our days become better. And that is something because when our days are good, our nights are often good. And if our days aren't that great, our nights aren't great. So allowing yourself a little grace with that. Minimizing blue light before going to bed, trying to do a relaxing bedtime routine, and really trying to aim for a 10 o'clock bedtime. Oh, wait, that's so specific. Why 10 o'clock? Aiming. This is an ideal and aspiration, but not something that is always very realistic. Aiming for a 10 o'clock bedtime just helps us ensure that we are getting enough of that deep restorative sleep. And some studies have shown that the hours between 10 p.m. to midnight is when we often get deep restorative sleep. And if we're sleeping after, you know, 2 in the morning, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., we might be shortchanging that. So that's one kind of tip. And set a bedtime alarm. So I have an alarm that goes off at 9 p.m. every day. And then I say like, okay, it's time to wind down because we have an alarm to get up. So why not something to remind us to wind down? Keep your devices so far away from you. So aim when you're going to bed. Don't have your phone on your nightstand. Try to have it far away. Well, I'm like the number one most guilty person of this. I know. Yeah, we actually just had another person, Dr. Crystal Dilworth or Dr. Brain, as she's known, give our listeners the homework to sleep without their phone in their room for one week. And (laughs) it's very hard to do. Do you do this? Do you do this every night? I used to put my phone on my nightstand and I never checked it, but it was just right there because then first thing in the morning, I would open up email while I was in bed 
And then I would get lots of like yeah. critical emails early morning. So now what I do is I keep my phone far away from my nightstand on my desk. So then I have to get up out of bed and I have to walk to my desk. But instead, what I do is I just go to the bathroom, brush my teeth, and then I check the phone. So there's like that little bit of a lag, which makes a big difference. So aiming for just that small few minutes of a lag can really help set the tone because when we're brushing our teeth, we're thinking about other things, et cetera. The one practice that I would say, you know, so minimizing media use and keeping our phones away, you've already had someone talk about that. The other thing that I think is really important is some form of movement every day. So, so helpful. Put on a mask, go outside for a 20-minute walk. We talked about Oprah walking up the steps and counting the steps, right? So go outside and spend 20 minutes articulating your feet on the floor as you walk. It's a form of mindful movement. So for folks who can't sit still and meditate, and right now it might be hard to sit still. We're sitting still for Zoom calls for eight hours a day. So moving your body outside, wear a mask, please. I have to say that I'm a doctor. So take a 20-minute walk, feel your feet on the floor, feel your body move as you articulate with the ground, and then you come back in and you feel refreshed. That's a really simple way. 20 minutes is a substitution for a Facebook scroll. So everyone has 20 minutes to do exercise. Well, I was going to ask you actually about doom scrolling because you say that doom scrolling is one way to for sure get stressed out, but also multitasking in real life is another way. So like, what are the things that we're also doing every day that we know are just going to stress us out that we could probably limit or remove from our lives? So doom scrolling is a legitimate phenomenon that we are all experiencing because pandemics create a scarcity mindset and we need to really activate that sense of abundance. Scarcity mindsets activate the fight or flight response. That cortisol goes up and we are afraid and it's our self-preservation mechanism. We scan for danger. It's how we've survived evolutionarily for eons and eons. So the way we scan for danger in modern times is doom scrolling, right? We don't live in caves. We're not manning the fields and looking around like, are there tigers coming or is someone attacking the tribe? What's happening? There's none of that. But the modern day version is, especially living through a pandemic, is checking the headlines. Like, what's going on? Am I safe? Is this okay? Is my family safe? Is our town safe? So there's this safety concern right now that is a primal need and a primal urge that we have. And doom scrolling fulfills that primal urge to feel safe. However, when we doom scroll and when we start really engaging with the news, news activates our cortisol fight or flight mechanism, and it really works on the biology of stress. So clickbait is a perfect example of activating our biology of stress. The way the word choices are for headlines, it makes us want to click, makes us want to read more. So that all of our neurotransmitters, the chemicals in our brain that are going right now are, you know, every tweet can help or harm us in that way with activating dopamine or serotonin or the various things in our brain. That's what neuroplasticity is, right? Like inputs can impact our brain. And so it's this idea with doom scrolling is that we have to intentionally start getting other parts of our brain. So when we're under stress, the parts of our brain that are taking over for all of us this year have been the amygdala and what we call the reptile brain. We all have one. It's just, we call it the reptile brain because it's the part of our brains that has not evolved. It stayed like very 
much like how when we were cave people. And that's what the stress response is. That's where the stress response is housed. But there's a part of our brain called a prefrontal cortex. And that is responsible for organization, contemplation, personality, all of the skills, Brit, that you exude. You are an executive. And it's what we call executive functions. That's what the prefrontal part of our brain is. Very intentional. And when we're under stress, we are governed by that limbic reptile amygdala response and our prefrontal cortex is not in charge. So we have to find a way to kind of become more intentional with media use and let what we call the higher brain centers take over that executive functioning. Doom scrolling is our limbic response, our innate stress primal response. But this other functioning we can help take over by putting our phones far away from our workstation so that you're standing up, walking to your phone and checking the news. It's an intentional thing versus having it right next to your laptop where you can just scroll and get caught up in the web of doom scrolling. That's why when you wake up in the morning, keeping your phone far from your bed, you have to get up and do something. When we engage and we have to be a little bit more intentional, then it's almost like we learn how to parent ourselves with media use. I want to jump in there because I think the other key thing that I've learned is turn off your notifications. Literally, you don't need them. You don't need to know every time someone Instagram messaged you, like liked something on Facebook, sent you an email, all those red bubbles create so much anxiety and you don't want all these things popping up on your phone all day and vibrating your phone. It's like your brain is just going to be like twitching all day long. So The one thing that I did that really changed my life with my phone and my stress levels was turning off notifications. So if anyone out there has notifications turned on, please turn them off. I love it. I do that all the time. So the two things that I recommend is keeping the phone far from you, some sort of geographical boundary and limit, and then logistical limit, getting rid of any automatic opt-in features. Everything that is sending you dings and, you know, get rid of all the sounds, get rid of all the notifications. The other thing that works exceedingly well is making your phone into a black and white mode. And iPhone does this very easily. I'm sure Android does it too. There is a orange night vision that you can do for nighttime, right? To decrease the blue light. But if you have this sense of I need to read, I need to read, turning your phone to black and white may help that urge because the colors and the user interface also engages our dopamine and gets us to engage more. So if you see a black and white version of the news, it might be like, yeah, I can check or, you know, it just decreases those reward mechanisms. And then the other thing to think about is this concept of popcorn brain. When we live too much online, our brains and the way our neural processing, so the way our thoughts go, become like popcorn, like pop, 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 pop. It's not that our brains literally turn into popcorn. It's just that way that we process thoughts, emotions, feelings becomes very rapid without any real cohesion. And that's a term that's been coined by some researchers. Dr. Levy was one of the researchers who did that. Because the pace of life offline in real life is much slower than online. Things happen at a slower pace in our real life offline conversations. There's a lot of research about what we call burstiness of conversations. So some conversations 
will have lulls and then there'll be a burst and then there'll be a lull and then the burst. And that's kind of how life goes, right? Like offline, real life. But online, because we're getting so much stimulation all the time, there's that constant sense of burstiness. And that can be really detrimental to our attention, our memory, our processing power, and over time can create that phenomenon called popcorn brain. Yeah, popcorn brain. I'm just like, I literally can relate to that where it's just like, even like when I'm just working, it's like, check my email. New email came in. I'm trying to edit this Google Doc. I'm doing a podcast tomorrow. Oh, I need to send that thing to that calendar invite. Like, it's like everything is popcorning at all times. So I love what you're saying about that. It was just like offline is the new online. It's actually why we called my venture fund offline ventures. <laughs> we like dream for a day where we can take the best of what technology has to offer and enable us to live in the offline world more and more because of it and hopefully solve a lot of these brain problems that we're all having right now. I love that. And multitasking has actually been shown to be really detrimental for us, for our brains. You know, I used to be an active multitasker. I don't know, because it was considered like a badge of honor, right? Like I can multitask. Of course I can. But now I am like, the anti-multitasker. I'm the unitasker and I am so proud of that. And so when people are like, can you do this and this? And I'm like, no, I can't. I really can't. And so you can train yourself to not be a multitasker, which is almost, it's like the undoing, right? The great undoing. How? I'm the ultimate multitasker. How do I untrain myself? So the competing priorities for our brains, it takes a lot of processing power. So just doing one thing at a time. It's simple, but not easy to implement, but with time and practice. So like an example would be if I have, let's look at my tabs I have open on my browser right now. I probably have 20 tabs open in my browser (laughs) and maybe what I should have is one. Is that what you're saying? One tab, then you finish the task and then you move on to the next task and then you finish that up. And then you move on to the next task, maybe take a break in the middle. And what we've learned is that when you have that kind of pace, you may end up being more productive. So the way it works with human productivity is that we function on a bell-shaped curve. So when we're feeling stressed out, too, too stressed, we're not very productive. When we're not very motivated and not feeling enough stress, we're not productive, but there's this sweet spot in the middle. And when we start doing things one at a time and kind of easing into task by task, our stress levels stay, you know, in good, healthy range, not too little. It's a Goldilocks principle, not too little, not too much, just right. And we may feel that we can do more. In the time of the pandemic, though, I always recommend to scale back. It's hard for type A people who want to scale back, but scaling back may have a impact on your productivity that is really positive. It's scientific, it's counterintuitive, but it's science. But that's something to really think about. But yeah, the multitasking, it's something, you know, we in our modern culture, it's something that is like a badge of honor. Like I can get so much done. I have so many things that are happening at the same time. It's not that great for the long game. So it's like, is it something, you know, right now in the short game, like what's the end game? It's to live a really wonderful, productive life for the next seven decades, right? For like 70 or 80 years of like a healthy, happy, productive life. And so thinking about the long game, thinking about sustainability, 
for ourselves, for our loved ones, and kind of crafting our day-to-day habits from there. And then our brains will respond accordingly. Initially, when you move from multitasking mode to unitasking mode as like a human, it's hard. There's a void. You're not used to it. But then you can kind of engage all faculties into that one thing. And then you create that sense of flow. And we know that the flow state has had tremendous therapeutic benefits when we're doing one task, we're so focused and we lose track of time. Yes. Like when I'm talking to you right now, I am in a state of flow. I'm just talking. I don't know what time it is. I don't know what else is happening. We're just engaged. And that happens when you're in conversation. Yeah. And that's why actually with Brit and Co, we've preached about the power of creativity and creative work even for people who don't subscribe to being quote unquote creative, because there's literally a state of flow that you get into, whether you're cooking, whether you're painting, whether you're drawing anything, because to your point, you're like in a unitasking. I don't know if that's what you said. And you have one tab open in your brain and that tab is drawing or cooking. And there's literally nothing else that can hold your attention because you're so focused on it. And the actual studies around mental health for those that practice creativity are really impressive. It's something like 73% of people that engage in knitting, for instance, have actually seen decreases in their anxiety and their depression over time. And like, there's so on and so forth. So it's like actual proof that having a single task, letting yourself become a state of flow is super, super healthy and productive for your brain. So I love that of what you're saying. So Dr. Didi, I know our time together is coming to a close soon. What is the summary message that you would give all of our listeners today about how to either conquer stress or live with stress and increase their resilience? And also, what are the habits we can start practicing as soon as today to begin our journey into a less stressed future? The first is that we need stress for resilience to show itself. Without stress, there can be no resilience. There are many, many ways to build resilience into our daily lives. A lot of the things that we've talked about, exercise, protecting sleep, some form of mind-body practice, a gratitude practice every day that we didn't talk about, but that is super, super helpful, anything to help mitigate your stress can help build resilience. The other thing to really remember is that you could still be a resilient person and feel burned out. It's not mutually exclusive. So all of us are quite resilient, but we are all equally very burned out because chronic stress like we've experienced over the year can really have an impact on our mental health, our physical health, and our sense of well-being. So giving ourselves lots of grace things that we can do in the moment, aim for some small changes. So a 20-minute walk outside, a five-minute breathing session or stretching session, spend some time laughing every day, set a bedtime alarm and keep your phone away. I have lots of tips. I have a free guide on my website, dradd.com, and it's a guide to optimizing resilience in the mind, body, and spirit. And it has lots of tips and tricks, but I think the key takeaway is to not think that resilience and building resilience is a mythical, magical thing. It is something that we can do every day in small, measurable ways to minimize our stress and build resilience from the inside out. 
And you're probably doing a lot of those things already, cooking with your family, reading novels. There's so many ways to minimize our stress. Find something that works for you. Aim to do a little bit every day because when we're building a new habit, it's better to do something every day than once in a while because it avoids decision fatigue. So aim to do something small every day. And you will see that over time and with practice, you will minimize your stress and improve your resilience. But it is in your control and in your power. And I think for me, the greatest thing is when people feel a sense of empowerment for their health and well-being. That brings me greater joy than anything else. This is amazing. And I think my summary from what I learned was stress is not something that is ever going to go away. And in fact, it could be a really healthy part of your daily life. So the key is to learn how to be aware of it, how to live in harmony with it, and to practice what Dr. Aditi is saying (laughs) to try to at least minimize some of it. So thank you so much for being on the show today. And where can we find you to follow up or learn more about some of your stress and resilience techniques? It was such a pleasure to be here. I love talking to you. It was like talking to an old friend. So thank you so much. I am happy to share. So people can find me anywhere on social media. It's at Dr. Aditi Narukar. I have a website, draditi.com. There's a free newsletter on all things resilience so people can subscribe. There's a free guide on my website for optimizing resilience in the mind, body, and spirit. And send me a DM. I would love to hear from you. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much, Dr. Aditi. And now I am off to join my next Zoom call, but I'm going to stop, breathe, and be and stretch a little before I do it. I love it. (laughs) Thanks so much. And we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to Teach Me Something New, a production of iHeartRadio and Brit & Co. I'm your host, Britt Morin. Find more information about each episode at Brit.co slash listen. You can also find me on social media. I'm at Brit or follow us at Brit and Co. Teach Me Something New is executive produced by Allie Ives and Allie Perry with additional production and sound design by Mark Lemmerjazy and Aaron Peterson. 